Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, Walgreens reportedly in talks to go private. So could this, these be other Dow shakeups in the works if Walgreens get the boots? Plus, lost in space, Virgin Galactic gets its first analyst call. But how do you value a space tourism company when there's no one else to compare it to? Our traders will have some answer, answers. And later, a reality check for the real real. What a new CNBC investigation uncovered that sent that stock tumbling today. But first, come on in. The water's fine. The Dow and Nasdaq soaring to new all-time highs as Treasury spreads hit the highest level since July. So is the bond market signaling it is time to take off the life jackets, jump back into this record rally? We mentioned the yield curve, Pete. But actually, if you look at the 10-year yield, 1.86%. German bonds are back to July highs. We're getting the all clear. Financials are on fire. Uh J.P. Morgan went over 130 today. All across the financials, you see these great gains. And also, it's... You know, basically we talked about yesterday, but I'll say it again. Earnings season's a little bit better than expected. And volatility is just getting sucked out of this market right now. I mean, we were talking about 18s, 19s just a couple of weeks ago. Here we are in the 12 and a half to 13 and a half, call it 14. I mean, this is amazing, Mel, how quick people have digested what's going on. And then in the options market, the one area that I keep seeing more and more and more, energy. People are going after some of these areas. And energy, if you're looking at beta and you're looking at volatile, volatile different names in there, that's where we're seeing it. We've had over 40 different stocks hit over the last two weeks in the energy space alone with unusual activity, looking for upside. And they're already getting it. And it's happening in days, not weeks. And they're going very, very short term. And is that, is that a product of worst is first now, that where you see the laggers being bought just for that beta play that you're looking at catch up? Oil, but, but just, how did you start off your segment right there? You said earnings not as bad. Right. China trade as not as bad. Yeah. Fed better than expected. You have a host of things, impeachment kind of rolling off the market's back right now. Everything is not as bad. So that's why people are buying. So does that equal record highs? Well, if you look at industrials are breaking out to record highs, and people are, aren't talking about that. They're talking yeah. about the, the, the more exciting, and the banks maybe should be more exciting. We've been waiting for the banks. Uh, so back to bonds. There's a couple things that are going on in the bond market. First of all, we do have record supply coming also. So there, there is a supply issue which would put some heaviness on yields if you don't think that actually you can digest all of this. In the past environment, over the summer when yields were hitting lows, there was no question we were going to digest it. So when you think about uh, the dynamics, and we had and ISM services today. So we've been watching this part of the U.S. economy to see if it's been at least falling back. And it couple times over the last three or four months, that's been a trigger for the market to be very cautious. The numbers today weren't great, but they were better than expected. You had a China PMI last night that was slightly better. I think you're getting stabilizing PMIs. Most importantly, I think you've got sentiment for the equity market that we haven't seen in a long time. And I'm not going to tell you we're at January 2018, but it does feel at, you know, and it, what's your measure? The CNN Greed Index. There's an AAII coming out tomorrow. You should watch that because the sentiment is part of where we have come from, which was so bad uh, that I think that's playing into stocks. Yeah. How do you feel about the markets right now? We've, well, come, we've come a long way in a short amount of time. Really long way in a short amount of time. And, I mean, kudos to you. I know you were positive when, when trade was looking terrible. And um, I, I was far more concerned 
However, all that having been said, that was 6% ago in the S&P. It was also only about three weeks ago or so. 8% in 23 sessions off those OCK3 lows. Okay, so that is extraordinary. We talk about, okay, great, the the yield curve has shifted or, or steepened, and that's really good for banks. JP Morgan's up $18 in the last three weeks. That was the time to own more JP Morgan, I think. Here, you know, yesterday I sold some uh, 130 calls against my position. I, I, I love JP Morgan. I think it's an outstanding How company. How far out do you go on that? Um, just two months. I think that it's a really nice run. I don't think it's crazy expensive here, but I also think $18 move in a stock like J.P. Morgan is really a pretty extraordinary move. So, uh, I mean, to me, you know, any protection I had is going to zero, right? The volatility, as Pete said, has Happily. gotten crushed. Happily. Yes, right. I'm always there. long. So when right. the market's up, that's great. And when it's not, that's not so fun. But I'd be inclined to just... I, I agree with Karen. Protection. Last I week, I said the market was very close to being overbought in RSI. I said 10 handles away. I catch 3080 as an overshoot level. So we're battling with that level. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to lock in some profits, but I do believe that there's going to be a reassessment and people will ultimately buy it back. Just well, it's a great opportunity to trim. Oh, go ahead. Just add one more. United Rental. I think it hit yeah. about 108. It hit 150 today. Right. In, in a very short Quick. time. I love United Rental. Yeah. It's not expensive here, but that is an extraordinary run. OK, so so if there's going to be a pullback, I mean, do you you're going to time it because you're short. You're you're a fast, very short money, term you're and I'm fast money trader. And it's faster than ever. Mel, we got but, if I gave you just a small synopsis of what we saw in the last couple of days, we are seeing more and more paper that's coming in that's expiring Friday. I mean, I'm talking about they are ultra short term. But they've been so successful with these trades, it's been scary. They've been right, 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 week after week. You guys talk about this big move. How about the guys who are buying the options on Monday that are expiring that Friday? And then the next Monday, expiring Wednesday last week, and then expiring on Friday, two days later. That's the kind of market that we're in right now. And I think it's partially because, do people really trust it? But Especially at the levels that we are right now. Can I ask yeah. him a question? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm So at what point when you see that kind of either put call skew or something that's wildly bullish in terms of the positioning right now, do you say, the contrarian in you say, this is getting dangerous? Because well, it, that's, that's what my spider sense is tingling right what now. What I really like about it, though, Tim, is it's not so much about put call ratios, because those never mean anything to me. It's all about buys, right, and, and sells. So are they selling or are they buying? They're buying. Yeah. And the buying has been very short term, but they've been right and they continue to be right. So I'm going to keep riding this thing along. I mean, I'm trimming like you were talking about, Karen. You sold some calls in J.P. Morgan. The only problem with that trade is obviously implied volatility has gone like this. Right. So you're not getting paid as much as you would like to for those options. But I've been trimming a lot of these mm-hmm. options. Mel, today it was Wells Fargo. It was Morgan Stanley. I love those names. I still love those names. I think they're going higher. But it's a great opportunity to take so, some off. So can I ask a question now? I, I wish you would. I think everyone <laughs> is wishing that you would. <laughs> so, so, so I have back. a question for Gross. I mean, if you think that there's there's a chance that we see a pullback at this point, when does seasonality kick in? And are you better off trying to trade that pullback or just say long, ride that pullback, knowing that seasonality will take you back to record highs? If your time horizon is five years, then just stay the course. If your time horizon around this desk is pretty quick, then I think you trim in November, get long again December, and that's the way you play it. To Pete's point, Alta, Roku, Snap, Mm -hmm. all up 20-30% in six days. Wow. So you can make your year in these individual events really quick. So you have to be able to buy them, sell them quick, and don't fall in love. Or you can lose your years. 
<laughs> in a short amount of time with a quick pullback. Well, with stocks setting a record high, some titans of the industry are taking a cautious tone heading into the end of the year as well. We heard from a bunch of them throughout the day here on CNBC. Here's what they said. We've been at a peak for a while, and I just don't know how much longer this can continue. But we've been saying it's at a peak for a couple years now, and we've been wrong because it keeps going higher. There are a lot of valuable companies. Rates are very low. You know, it looks like the stock markets are forecasting a pretty rosy outcome. And the bond market, it's hard to say what it's forecasting because, you know, it's a lot of bonds being bought by central banks. Investors are very flush with money. And as a result, they're taking very low returns. And they also um, are ta- buying dreams rather than earnings in stocks. Our next guest is also on alert, predicting a pullback will rattle the market between now and December, but he views it as a significant buying opportunity. Tony Dwyer's chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having um, me. Now. A pullback of two to five percent this month. That doesn't no, seem so bad. Nobody watching the show is expecting me to come on at a new record high, being the bull. And you're the bull. You're the bull guy. What I'd like to do <laughs> is pull, um, put data to what everybody on the desk is saying. How do you know when a pullback is coming? So we found that when the S&P 500 is up more than 20% for year-to-date through the end of October, it's always up through the end of the year by a median 5%, greater than 5%. But five out of the seven occurrences, you could buy it cheaper than the October 31st print. So if the market's up a percent and a half or 2% from there, and you're worse, you could have a 2 to 5% pullback over the next few weeks. You add to that that my buddy Jason Goford at Sentiment Trader found that when the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ make a record for all together on the same day for the first time in over three months, you typically get a 75% odds of a pullback over two weeks by just under 1%. So I'm not calling for any kind of monster pullback. And, and people are going to say 2%, 5%, Why who cares? Why, Why, trade? Trade? Why do you trade Because down 2 to percent, everybody's freaking out. We're doing a CNBC special. Like, oh, hey, oh, easy, yeah. easy. Usually I'm on it, so I get it. But no, seriously, I mean, everybody down 2% thinks it's going to become 7 to 10%, right. and they don't buy it. So my message wouldn't be trim. My message would be if you're about to get in because you're making a new high, you don't have to chase the next tick. You can wait oh, a little so bit. So just wait, okay. All right, but down 2% is a lot of uh, sort of flat and then some down, you know, big, like sure. 10%. Sure. Um, so when, when you see a down 2%, would you say, all right, time to start buying those ones that really got hit, the down 10%? I would. Uh-huh. I would, Karen. I, you know, and, and I'm kind of in your institutional fund manager. You can't buy the low tick. Anybody that comes on here and says they're going to buy the right exact percentage, I think, is delusional. I know I can't do it. What I can do, though, is know why I'm buying. And that way, when it does go down, it's hard but at least I'm able to add into the weakness. If I'm not convicted before it comes down and expect a pullback, there's no way I'm buying down 2 to 5% because it could be 10 to 15. And, there, you know, that's why I'm so fundamentally convicted. If you're waiting to buy, what do you buy when you're down 2 to 5%? Are you buying the sectors that got, that got hit the most in that pullback down 2 to 5%? I'm buying offense. And I've been buying offense. So the guys buying... printing the money, I can't yell it loud enough, uh-huh. the guys printing the money gave us the game plan globally. I can't say it emphatically enough. Last week, Powell said an amazing thing that people didn't, I don't believe, pay enough attention to. He said the only thing that would make him raise rates is meaningful increase in inflation right. above. Everybody knows that part. But he also said early next year he's coming out, the Fed is coming out with a way to get inflation expectation higher. Are you going to, that's not tightening. 
that's adding liquidity somehow or making asset prices go up or some way of creating more spending. You couple that with a comment, Mal, that he said that earlier this year they thought low inflation was transitory, and it wasn't. He just announced the generational change in Fed thinking on inflation that we talked about in July, where they're more worried about deflation than inflation. It's a generational change. So what does that mean? Fed put 101, higher valuations, and even now given the turn in the global data that Timmy outlined and the the manufacturing PMIs, not that they're good, they're less bad. Let's say you actually turn the global data and stabilize and make it a little bit better. The consumer in the U.S. is benefiting from the lower rates and easier Fed. You could have what we've talked about the whole year. A late, a mid 90s kind of environment, a post 95 environment where you get big drops, but 20 percent kind of years. Did, didn't he come on here as bearish? Everything I just heard was was. No, no, he's buying. I'm, being, no, I'm you, being cute. I know. And, and so my, my if I don't convince you ahead of time, Timmy, you know that we're not buying the weakness. If I'm not convincing you ahead of time, you're not buying the weakness. I want to buy the weakness. So fundamentally, because you, you, you said, I'm looking at this fundamentally, and you're talking about a couple triggers. What is that downward trigger? Is this a trade? Is it a trade headline? I mean, what's going to move this? Because what I'm hearing is sentiment. What I'm hearing is positioning. What I'm hearing is tactical a timing history, in the calendar yeah, yeah. Uh, and a history. But what's, what's the fundamental trigger? Down 7% October 2nd with the market collapsing. There's no trigger for the downside. We're in it. It could be any. It could be a trade headline. It could be a Fed comment. It could be an earnings statement. It could be really anything. There's no identifiable. We're positioned for it, meaning we're set up for a, a news item out of nowhere. Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony Mel. Dwyer. He was like a bull with little bear ears on. He, look, I mean, he has yeah. difficulty, it's, and, and it's he's been, he's been largely bull. right with his bull call. Exactly. So he, you can understand why he wants to dance with the bull that brung him. <laughs> so, so, you know, when you, the most important thing you said was about the Fed. And when you look at interpret the Fed, everyone worries about whether it's a hawkish cut, a dovish cut. It seems like the dove is leading the FOMC, and that's the way it's going to stay. And when, once market participants get it, it's off to the races for this market. Again. Uh, Coming up, Match Group reporting earnings just moments ago. We've got the lowdown on what's moving the stock lower after hours. Plus, the chairman of Boeing sitting down exclusively with CNBC. We'll tell you what he said that gave the stock a lift today. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Match Group. You can see the stock is down 15% 15% in the after-hour session. Let's get to Eric Chemi, back at headquarters with the latest. Hey, Eric. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Investors swiping left on Tinder parent match. Shares getting hit after hours trading down more than 16%. Earnings and user numbers beat estimates. Match posted a 19% jump in average subscribers, but a key metric, average revenue per user. That came in weaker than expected, growing only 4% since last year. And guidance for the current quarter, that missed forecasts, in part due to long-term investments and heavy legal costs. Match is also under pressure amid growing competition from rival online dating services. Remember, Facebook launched its own U.S. dating platform earlier this year, and Bumble, Bumble expanded its global presence by launching in India last year. Match is relying on Tinder and OkCupid to boost its presence in emerging markets. That seems to be paying off. Subscribers jumped 29% internationally, and revenue growth in emerging markets was nearly 80%. 
But the company still has work to do. And no surprise, shares of IAC also down sharply in the after-hours session. But still, Match has been a stock to buy up 34% so far this year, even with these steep losses after the earnings. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Eric, thank you. Eric Chami at headquarters. Steve Grosso, I feel like mm. you mentioned MASH recently. Oh, I thought you were so, going to say I feel like you have a lot yeah, of experience here. Yeah, exactly. Um, no. The, the issue with MASH is <laughs> this is something that I bought uh, way lower than where it's at now, and I wrote it all the way up. Facebook was never going to be the real competition there. I, I think people wanted a separate dating app other than being Facebook and seeing their friends and, and whatnot. So I never thought that was the headwind. The headwind is that the FTC is saying that those headlines in the last couple of months that 25 to 30 percent are not really real people. That's the headwind for these dating sites. That's why I think it's a no-touch Who are still they, right Pete? now. Who are they? <laughs> why are you swiping to me, man? Sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm out. Pete has no idea. All right. From a match to going private, shares of the drugstore chain getting a boost today on reports of its exploring plans to go private. People familiar with the situation telling CNBC, the drugstore giant, that Walgreens has reached out to PE firms about a deal. If it happened, it could be the largest LBO in history. Karen, what's your take? I'm kind of surprised, actually. Why? I'd be very surprised. I mean, a lot of reasons. One, the size of the deal, mm-hmm. right? That, so a, a deal that big, that's, that alone, it makes it difficult to do. The second part is this is an industry that, you know, is under, it's undergoing big change, right? And that isn't always a good time to take on a bunch of debt. So even though it might look cheap, I think, you know, a, an industry in flux like this is really... Not a great candidate. On the flip side, KKR was involved with Boots Alliance, and, and certainly if you think of private equity firms, of course, KKR comes to mind. Here's the thing, sort of, if there were a deal this big, I would imagine it would be a number of private equity players and a number of lawyers involved, like and that, to me, spells leaks, that we would see leaks of information, and that's sort of interesting, something to watch. Right. Well, when you say the industry is undergoing a lot of change, do you mean the PBM side of the industry, yes. the front Pharmacy, of the store? Both. I mean, yeah. right? All of it. And so to, you know, to take on a lot of debt at the time when you're undergoing a lot of change, that's hard. And the size. Have you seen any unusual options activity? No, I knew that you were thinking that. I was thinking the exact same thing. No, we have not seen anything incredibly unusual there, so I wouldn't say that. But I would say that, uh, you know, there are some interesting aspects about this company going private. One of them is they throw off a lot of cash. Yes, they have debt, but they throw off a lot of cash. Maybe there's ways they can massage that debt around, which a lot of them can figure out. And so that might make it a little more palatable. And you look at the value of where it is right now. It's not ultra expensive, so... There are some reasons why maybe private equity would have interest here, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, if those are the reasons, it seems like an activist would have more luck as opposed to taking the whole thing private. If they wanted to lower the leverage of the company, right, and and better utilize the free cash flow, I don't know. You don't have to buy the company to do that. And I I think the stock would respond. And and often if the right activist with the right track record can get in there. The amount of debt they have on now is not problematic. The amount of debt they would need to take on. Oh, I see. To do an ILBO, unless they put in, you know, tens of billions of dollars, fifty billion dollars of equity, then they could do it with a lot, a lot of debt. That's an enormous equity check, though, yeah. for somebody okay. to write. Well, if you remember, Walgreens replaced General Electric in the Dow last June, so that got us thinking: if Walgreens goes private, leaves the Dow, and of course there are a lot of caveats before that would happen, we ask who should replace them. Now, let's uh, 
let's uh, put the caveats out here. We don't know if the deal is going to get done. We don't know when it's going to get done. It could be a long time before it gets removed from the Dow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a fun exercise. We're having a little fun. We're having a little fun. fun. Let's not get too serious. And the question, you know, the Dow in theory, (laughs) the Dow in theory should be a reflection of the economy. And so what could better reflect the economy if you had the opportunity to replace Walgreens Boots Alliance? Pete. Well, I'm going to go with a little bit of a surprise pick, maybe. Hmm. Uh, I'm going with a retailer. Oh, boy. Now, let's go to Minnesota for just one second. Oh, no, 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 no. Where else would we go with you? Hold on. And, by the way, Walgreens right there. United <laughs> Health, right? That's a Minnesota. 3M, that's a Minnesota company. Travelers, that's a Minnesota company. Heavy, heavy. You know what makes a lot of sense? Why not Target? Yeah. When you look at Target, it actually fits the bill. And, you know, you obviously have the CVS within Target stores. There's a lot of different things about it. But when you really look at the stock, $110, about 2.8% piece. This really makes a lot of sense to fit right in there, and I think it's a measurement of exactly what you were just defining, Mel. It's, it's measuring what's going on in the economy and everything else. Tim. Well, if I was going to target something, um, it would probably be CVS. And, and to me, it's almost kind of painfully obvious. I mean, if we're talking about Walgreens, what is the closest competitor? What is the closest stock price for a stock, for essentially a stock-weighted index? Um, and in terms of representative part of the economy, and, and both of these companies are str- either struggle from or deal with some of the same issues around the PBM business and their core retail footprint. And by the way, escalating, you know, kind of retail costs and escalating labor costs and possibly input costs from the trade war. So, uh, but CVS would be the clear and obvious replacement. Karen? Yes. I, I, I'm choosing Facebook. Whoa. See, with all caps today. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yes. apparently. That's, that's, a, new logo. Logo. Exactly. that's, that's nice. a new logo. And the reason is I think that the Dow doesn't represent nearly as much as it should social media, advertising mm-hmm. revenue. So it seems like a big, a big missing nice call. Nice, entity. Nice there. modernizing of the Dow. With all the regulation issues, though, in front of them right now, do you think that still makes sense? Boeing's or? in there. They're happy to yeah, have Yeah, they got plenty. Yeah, that's right. I went with another mass merchant uh, in the theme of Pete, but I think this is indicative of where the economy is. Costco, and I love the price. This is a price-weighted index, not like the market cap. I think Costco would be an excellent choice that reflects the economony. All right. Very interesting case. Great game, by the way, which is a simulation. Right, exactly. There's a lot of things that could happen. Walgreens is still happen. All right. For more on the challenges facing Walgreens in the public market, head on over to CNBC.com. Much more Fast Money right after this. Boeing's CEO getting a big vote of confidence from the company's chairman. But will investors buy into his support? And later, Facebook upping its game in the hardware market with the rollout of its Portal TV. But will consumers open up their living rooms to the privacy-plagued company? All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Boeing jumping 2% for its third positive day in a row. CNBC sat down with Boeing chairman Dave Calhoun earlier today talking everything from the grounded 737 MAX plans to Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg. CNBC's Phil LeBeau is here with more from that big interview. Phil, what what a catch. Welcome to the NASDAQ. It is good to be here. Um, Look, there were two objectives for Dave Calhoun when he talked with us this morning. One, change the narrative from last week, which was an utter disaster for Boeing when Dennis Mullenberg was on Capitol. Hill. And two, make it very clear to the market and to regulators that the Boeing board has the back of Dennis Mullenberg. From the vantage point of our board, Dennis has done everything right um, from the beginning. It was sort of clear to us. No one was hiding anything. It was a set of uh, engineering decisions that ended up being wrong. This control system will be fixed 
and it will be safe, and it will have been tested like no other control system, in, at least in my history in the aviation industry. Um, and this airplane will, will fly, and it will be safe. And I'll fly it, and my family will fly it. And uh, there's, the only way to win a brand back is not to advertise it or to talk about it, but to win it with every next flight. One other piece of news regarding Dennis Mullenberg. Uh, Dave Calhoun said that on Saturday he received a phone call from Dennis Mullenberg, who last week, remember, on Capitol Hill, he was asked by senators and representatives, why are you being paid given the, car- the crisis involving the 737 MAX? He didn't really have an answer. He said that's up to the board. Well, on Saturday he called Dave Calhoun and he said, you know what? Forget about my bonus and stock grants for 2019. Also forget about them all the way until the MAX deliveries they're, they're caught up completely, which may not even happen by the end of next year. It could be early 2021 by the time they finally catch up with all of those deliveries. So he is his compensation question. They have put that to rest, at least for now. And don't forget, he's at Deal Book tomorrow talking with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, it's interesting that Calhoun had said that it was a series of engineering decisions. What did he say in response to Texgate? That was one of the most memorable right. memorable moments in those hearings. Yes. Why didn't somebody in your staff come running in with their hair on fire when they saw these texts? Well, we did ask him about uh-huh. the emails and whether or not there was this this culture of not telling everybody everything and, and essentially not a safe culture at Boeing. And what he said was, look, we reacted as quickly as we were alerted to information. That question is still out there. And regulators in uh, on Capitol Hill have said, we still want to ask more questions. In fact, they wrote a letter yesterday essentially saying, we want to ask more questions to Boeing executives about who knew what and when did they know it. But at this point, Dave Calhoun said, it's it, in their opinion, Dennis Mullenberg is not hiding anything. He is not trying to keep anybody out in the, in the dark about what's happened with the Max. That he says, look, he's been forthright from the beginning, and that's why we believe he is the person to lead this company right now. Do you think not taking a penny of pay until the Max backlog is resolved, do you think that alleviates the heat that they will feel from regulators in Congress? No. Right. Because I think the, the, I I think think the heat is still, I think the heat is there. In, and I think that they're, after being in Washington, I get the sense that not everybody in, in, in Washington is completely satisfied with what they heard from Dennis Mullenberg last week. It seems like investors are satisfied. I don't know what you think. Well, I, 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 I'm not sure. I think investors have a lot of questions, too. You're Phil. an investor. Like, so. I, I, it, and ultimately, it comes from when are we going to get the max, uh, the first max right. out. And so Q1 2020, if you listen to uh, Hunter K., who I think is one of the best out yep. there, Wolf, um, he, he's got them uh, 42 coming out in January, 52 by August, and basically says you're down 50 planes by the end of the year relative to where people expected them. If to you be. can ramp up if to 57 per month right. and also get those deliveries ramped up as quickly as they they'd like to. That's going to be the real logistical operational challenge between January and July. And is that because you don't have the work, you might not have the workers back that you need to do the full ramp? If it's, you're not it's not that you don't have the workers, while? it's that you've got, what, somewhere about 350 to 400 that were grounded, that were with airlines. Now you've got another, I don't know, 250 to 300, somewhere in that range that have been built but have not been delivered yet. It just it's, it's not a case where you can just flip a switch and say, go ahead, you right. fly off and, and go somewhere. It takes some time to get those planes back in service. Okay. Phil, great to see you. Oh. Thanks for coming Good to by. Good Phil Lebeau. Um, and Phil had mentioned this, uh, but Dennis Mullenberg will be speaking at tomorrow's Dealbook conference. CNBC will have live coverage of that event starting at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time.
Coming up, a reality check on The Real Real, what a new CNBC investigation uncovered today that sent that stock lower. Plus, Facebook shipping out its first portal TV devices today. We'll tell you how it stacks up to its competitors in the big battle for your screens. Much more Fast Money coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of The Real Real are up 4% since the online luxury consignment marketplace went public in June. The company reported earnings last night, told investors that they are growing. But the question is, at what cost? Is it sacrificing quality for profits? And why are some employees sharing a very different reality? CNBC did a deep dive into the company. Here's a part of what we found in our investigation, The Real Question. Did you actually see fakes make their way onto the site? For sale? Yeah. Shanice Parchment was a copywriter for nearly three and a half years at the Real Reels warehouse in Secaucus, New Jersey, but says the team she managed did more than just write about designer goods. They authenticated them too. Do you think they had enough training to authenticate these luxury bags? No, I don't think anyone had enough training to authenticate anything. The company declined a repeated request to go on camera, instead sending this statement, saying in part, we stand behind our authentication process and will always work with our customers to make things right. And if there, are, there is a question about the authenticity of an item purchased from the real real, we refund the purchase price upon return. And uh, this is a great report. You can catch the full report by Andrea Day on CNBC.com. Uh, Karen, you're a shareholder, but I am. Yes, this is a concern. I would think the stock is down 10 percent in response to this report. Right. Well, particularly where real, real, you know, twice in your name, you know, it's problematic. Right. However, I do think this is a widespread uh, issue for the industry at large, not just them. But they are. I think of them as sort of the leader in it. So they need to fix this. I think they will. I think they'll do what it takes. But, um, you know, they got some. Some, some work to do. Who's, the other, some who's the other industry players, though? When you say for industry at large, you mean stuff that consignment well, like stuff? Well, like a Poshmark or, or a Ukes or a, um, well, some of that is new, but an eBay or. I just, I, just, I, I am not, I, my wife will buy stuff on, on, on Real Real, but for me, how do you trust in any of this going forward? Is it the handbags that you trust? Is it the belts that you don't? Is it the shoe? I, I, I wouldn't know how to even think about this with tremendous headwinds. And that the, the uh, interview, she said, there's people that don't know how to look at anything. Forget about just bags. It's everything. There are, to be fair to the company, there are teams of authenticators who are specialized in various things. Gucci right. And bags the head or, authenticator or is gone. But, but this is a classic, this is a classic case of That guy, of Donnie, growing. would be pretty good at that place. <laughs> we by well, it couldn't be any worse. There. Um, but this is a classic example of growth at all costs because these authenticators and these copywriters, copywriters meaning the people who write the little blurbs about each item, are pressed to come up with daily quotas. And the quotas were Hmm. enormous. And so if you have to authenticate a certain number of products every day, that's a real pressure to keep up with that. So you're you're coming right at the conflict between uh, the ability to kind of essentially produce um, when, in fact, right. the, the like you would think Real Real's core uh, mandate is to make sure that everything is authentic because that's what people are going to live and die. Um, and and if you look at the stock, I mean, the numbers that they reported were actually quite good. I mean, third quarter sales were up 55 percent. The margins and the guidance for for 2020 were very very strong. So um, the pullback here is certainly. Uh, it, is it's it a, viable? It's an existential question. Is it a viable pullback? I, do I don't think? think it's a viable here right now. But uh, again, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a report that I'm sure an enormous amount of work was done on um, getting at 
exactly the authentication process and understanding it for investors is going to be critical right now. Yeah. I was speaking with Andrea about the report earlier today on the exchange, and she made the point because we mentioned eBay is one of these platforms that resells goods. There's no promise made by an eBay, but there is an inherent promise made by the real real because the founder has said, we don't sell fakes. And it was, it's a categorical statement. I mean, it's, right. there's, no, there's no wiggle room around that. We don't sell fakes. Which is the problem in this whole yeah. thing. And that's, that's the, something that you wonder, how much do they want to press this in terms of the customers? Will they start sort of backing off a little bit? And you were talking about the mandates of how much they've got to do in a given day. That starts to be a factor as well. I mean, that's something where you'd think they'd have to say, we're going to loosen up on that. Yeah. It's too important for us. We've got to have this authenticated. And, and you know, two, two issues. There's a lockup expiration in December. It's on uh-huh. Christmas. And also the IPO price was $20. It sort of found that $20 mark thereabouts. So keep an eye on that because a lot of the algorithms and electronic trading platforms put that into the calculus when people trade. Could this help the likes of a tapestry or a Coors? I mean, if, if the threat was that the price point for a coach or a Coors bag was competing against a used, uh, a Chanel used bag. LVMH, and now there's a question about authentic- authenticity, do you go right. back to it the real? It would for me, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> it does beg the question, right? If that was pulling away, right, right. with the reverse of that. Problem. But it reminds me of earlier when you said Match, you know, has this issue where 20 or 30 percent right. of the people fake. And you find exactly. that something that it makes it uninvestable, then it would be, for you, real, real would be uninvestable. Yeah. I think they can fix it, but uh, no doubt this is, a, this is a problem. All right. Coming up, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey throwing some serious shade at Facebook as the social media wars heat up. We'll dissect this drama. And speaking of Jack Dorsey, shares of Square getting hit ahead of tomorrow's earnings. But one trader's betting the stock will pay off on the results. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook officially entering the fight for your living room. The social media giant begins shipping its new TV portal device today. Julia Borson is here in the flesh at the NASDAQ with all of the details. Julia. Melissa, it's great to be here. And that's absolutely right. Facebook's portal TV starts shipping today. It's a $149 device and it's designed for making video calls from your TV set using Facebook Messenger or Facebook's WhatsApp. Now, the device has a camera that attaches as part of a bar to the top of your TV, and it comes with a remote. Well, it enables users to listen to Spotify and stream shows from Facebook's watch. This is really about communication in those video chat calls. Now, as for privacy concerns, the camera, which is designed to track your movement around a room, can be covered up and the microphone can be turned off. And while Facebook will not generate any ad revenue from the device at the moment, it could do so potentially down the line. If Facebook can get people to spend more time with Facebook's products on their big screen TV, that could give Facebook access to the fast-growing connected TV advertising market. Spending on ads on connected TVs is expected to grow nearly 40% this year to $7 billion. That's according to eMarketer. And that number is projected to surpass $10 billion in the U.S. alone by the year 2021. Now, of course, all of this comes after just yesterday, Facebook announced a new logo in all caps. It will appear on its different brands to show its ownership of the likes of Instagram and WhatsApp. Now, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey taking a jab at this news. Dorsey tweeting Twitter from Twitter. Now, Dorsey really has been taking aim at Facebook lately. <laughs> Just last week, he announced his plan to eliminate all of Twitter's political and issue ads from the platform. He made this announcement in a tweet the very moment 
that Facebook released its earnings. Ooh, the battle of the social media yes. kings. Um, first on the portal TV, do we have any sense of whether or not they will use what is picked up by a microphone that is left on in order to sell ads? They are saying for now they're not going to be selling any ads on this device, and they're responding to those concerns by saying, look, you could slide this little thing over, you could put the, ca- you know, the cap on the camera, and you could physically turn off the microphone so you don't have to worry about whether or not you have to, you know, like with Alexa, you could say, hey, Alexa, and it turns on, but maybe you don't know if it's really listening to you the whole time. So some people unplug their Alexas. They're saying if you want to take that extra step and you don't trust them to disable the the camera and the microphone you could sort of physically do that yourself but they're not going to categorically at this point say we're not going to use any any data called from an open microphone they say they're not collecting data from open microphones they're they're aware of the fact that people are wary and they want to reassure you if you have those concerns you're probably not the target for this um show of hands on this desk Mm. who would put one of these tv the portal tv devices in their living room i already have alexa What's the difference? Oh, so you were, you're so really going Alexa, to the by, dark by side. the way, when, when Alexa, when Amazon says that it's not listening, it's got to be listening, listening to hear Alexa. Yeah, exactly. So it's got to be listening, listening to a host of, yeah. host of other things. So I have no problem with this. But it gets, Facebook is just throwing it all. You got to give them credit. They're up 48% year to date. They're just throwing everything out there. They're, they have a target on their back for DC and they just don't care anymore. They're just cramming everything down the channel and seeing what sticks. But I think their question is like, what screens are left for them? They own the, the desktop ads. They own the mobile ads, which are far more valuable. And now they're saying, okay, let's make a play for the big screen. People spend a lot of time in front of their TV. But I think you may not be afraid of the, of the privacy issues. But the real question is for me, I use FaceTime on my phone and it works. Works great, so I just don't have a need for the communication on my flat screen TV. So they would have to convince me that that's a real. But just think about it: if you have kids and they want to see their grandparents or uh-huh. something like that, and they don't have a phone yet. I know everyone gets, gives a kid a phone very early, but if they don't have it, that's how my kids talk to their grandparents on Alexa. So it gives them the ability to call me on on my, on my cell phone from Alexa as well. If, if Facebook is doing this, you got to wonder. I mean, if Apple wants to own the TV, also, if this is a blueprint <laughs> well, can, for you, Apple to go in after the. I mean, Apple. Apple's known for not being the first one in on a particular technology, but using this as a blueprint for what they can do to capture that TV. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Steve raised his hand. I would actually walk around my house and look for any of these devices and make sure they were gone. You're sweeping for bugs in your own home now? (laughs) (laughs) Don't put them there. Why wouldn't I? Were you the whistleblower? Is there any shot? No comment. (laughs) Julia, thank you. Great to see you. Julia, great to be here. Up next, Virgin Galactic struggling to take off since its IPO. Uh, Actually, it's public debut. But one analyst says the stock could be heading to the moon. We're going to be digging into that. Take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Twilio CEO after the company had to re-release its earnings guidance because of a calculation mistake. That interview is coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at at, uh, the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It hasn't been hip to be square this year. Ooh, the stock is underperforming wow. the broader market in 2019. But options traders are betting for big things when Square reports tomorrow after the bell. Mike goes in San Francisco with the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So Square did see about two times the average daily options volume when I was looking at this earlier today. It was implying a move of about 8.7% one way or the other by the end of the week. That's well above the 6.35% that it has averaged over the last eight quarters, but probably makes some sense given the fact that last quarter we saw a very big decline in the stock, much larger even than the one that is implied by the options market right now. 
So the sentiment overall was fairly mixed, but one of the trades, the largest trade actually that I was looking at was the weekly 63, 66 call spread. Somebody spent about 96 cents for that a thousand times. So that's making a bullish bet that it's going to go through that 63 strike price by at least the nearly dollar that they paid. So they would be breaking even around the 64 level, maybe looking to that 66 level or even slightly above. So at least one trader is making a bullish bet going into earnings, but looking to risk relatively little to do so. All right. Uh, Karen, what do you make of Square? You've been following this for a long time. I have. I don't own it. Uh, I think I did it 13, maybe sold it at like 16. I don't know. So (laughs) clearly missed the whole ride here. It's interesting. I like the company. There's a lot of interesting things going on. Square Capital, Square Cash is interesting. We've seen some big numbers in the payment space. Um, The valuation's a little rich for me, but not crazy. I mean, it's down to... get to 100. So this is a pretty, pretty significant pullback. I'm, I don't own it, but I do like it. You've also owned it. I, I did. I owned it from 13. I had better luck in this one. I, I did sell it. I didn't sell it at the top, but I sold it in the 70s. And for me, I, I would need to ha- see a lot more proof about guidance going forward and their future fundamentals to get back in. I'm long the stock, um, and I've I've been in it from uh, an early level, and I've also traded around it, and I have a core position left. I, I think the sale of caviar was very good news. Yeah. I think the stabilizing of, of uh, stabilization of organic growth is very good. I think I think Square Cash is a very exciting. I think there's stickiness on the platform, so I, I'm in the, the, what remains in this position. Uh, I I like what the company's doing. I stay there. Well, Grubhub really showed us how how cutthroat yeah. that aspect of the business Fintech's had a little bit of pressure on it, though, Mel. And you look at Visa, you look at MasterCard, you look at PayPal, uh-huh. some of these names. Great move to the upside. Now they have actually a lot of easing back and, and Square being part of that whole thing. I think it creates an opportunity. I like Square. I think they're doing a lot of things right. So I would imagine that they're going to be able to knock it out of the park. All right. We actually have a news alert here to get to. Let's get to Leslie Picker with the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, we're here at the Greenwich Economic Forum. Just got off the stage with notable investor Avenue Capital's Mark Lazary. I asked him about whether he agreed with Leon Cooperman, Paul Tudor Jones, who each believed that the stock market could drop about 25% if Senator Elizabeth Warren is elected. Take a listen. I think the best trade out there today is that you're, you should go short the market the minute it's clear that Warren's the nominee. I mean, I, I don't know if it goes down 20 The nominee times. or the, the, nominee. the president? No, 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 the nominee. Mm. Because that's when the market's going to realize there's a real possibility. Today, it, that's being discounted very, very heavily. I don't know if it goes down 25%, but it, it's definitely going down 10 to 25. So I, 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 don't, I don't know what the number is, but it's not going up. noteworthy because Lazary is a well-known uh, Democratic donor, having supported Hillary in numerous campaigns. Uh, he described his rationale for why he believes the market would go down with the Warren nomination, um, saying that he believes that, you know, she's going to raise taxes quite a bit, uh, that there would, there would be more regulation under a Warren presidency. So yet another voice uh, adding to this uh, debate over what a Warren presidency would mean for the stock market, Melissa. And the flip side, Leslie, of course, is uh, Mark Lazary is a distressed investor, and so that would be actually good times for Mark if the market, if market went down 10 to 25 percent. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't be bad for his own business, but yeah. uh, it might be bad for others out there listening. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Uh, it's interesting that he said the short is when she gets the nomination. I would say that the short would happen even before that when it's 
clear. I mean, we, we saw what happens to health care when it looks like she's winning yeah. over Biden. And this is early, early days. Uh, but health care, you could see that chart in terms of the spread between Warren and Biden. And when Warren gets ahead, health care starts to go down. So with with the with all these polls these days, we have yeah, no you, you, of information. You have to see there's so much green between now and then. A lot, yeah. So she she doesn't have to be the nominee. We could see anybody be the nominee out of that group. So you have to wait. I do like that call of waiting until you get it. But just think about it. What caused the market run? Deregulation and lower taxes. Both of those things take that are away. not part of their platform. So if you're if you're not a capital if you're a capitalist, you can't like what's going on in the Democratic Party. You just can't. Up next, final trades. <laughs> Time for the final trade, Pete. I'm going to go financials. Fidelity, this thing's going higher. Buyers are in there. Tim. The rotation into transports, they may not be at all-time highs, but they're getting near that Jan 2018 level. I think you stay there. IYT. Chairwoman. Yeah, we hit on it a few times today. Facebook in all caps. I like it even here. Great earnings last week. Grasso. Couldn't help myself. Bought Shake Shack today. Fireman trade. You run in when everyone else is running out. Shake Shack. No three-day rule here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Be back here tomorrow and five more fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.